Gobble gobble bitches, gobble gobble bitches, gobble gobble bitches, gobble gobble bitches. Turkey time, turkey time, turkey time, turkey time. Files. It's time for the SLS cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 254 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Texas County's episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that the number of counties in Texas is... 254. And with that wonderful little bit of Texas County knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. In how many counties can you name? Um, Travis, Bear, Harris, Galveston. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Houston, Davy Crockett, Crockett, Crockett County, right? There's a Crockett, Texas. There's got to be a Crockett County. Why not? Since we're talking about Texas, uh, my significant other's parents recently visited Texas and fell in love with Texas. They're from Sacramento, and my significant other's father, he uh, he became a cowboy after spending some time in... I think it's Carefree, Arizona, or Carefree, New Mexico, one of those places. And yeah, he's uh, he's now full-on cowboy, listening to really, really bad country music, and loving all things cowboy. So I, I told him, you know, when you go to San Antonio, you have to eat good barbecue, good Mexican food, but you have to go to the hill country. And the one place he went to, actually the only place he went to off the list of things I told him to do, was to visit green texas and go eat at the grist mill have you ever been there um no i have not been there so in green i think it's called green hall and that's where like lyle lovett all these other country western performers from the you know 50s 60s uh i guess lyle lovett really got to start in the 70s uh, i would think 70s but like all these guys used to play there and if you ever saw that movie Michael with John Travolta? You know, last night we were discussing your wings. Would you mind if I took a closer look? Let him look at your wings, Michael. They're from the National Mirror. Thank you. They're not bad. Compared to what? Oh, I've, I've seen birds. Would you mind if I touched? 
I'd rather you didn't. Hey, well, um, <laughs> we just like to, like to take a look to see how you have these things attached. Why don't you pull on your pecker and see how that's attached? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the dance hall they go to. Oh, good to know. So take your kids to Green Hall. They're in Wimberley, Texas. Ah, uh, well, how was your week, sir? What What are you doing for the old, for Thanksgiving? As I like to tell Johnny, real Thanksgiving. Real because Thanksgiving. Because in Canada, yes, in Canada, because Canada has their own Thanksgiving that is before ours. And I have come to call that practice Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then we have real Thanksgiving. It's turkey time. Gobble, gobble. What are your plans for Gobble Gobble Bitches Day? Gobble Gobble. Well, we are going to visit the Esso's family again. Mm -hmm. Partly because they make the best freaking food. They definitely win the Thanksgiving Feast Award over any of the other Thanksgivings I've been to. Wow. You should come to mine once. Just once. I'd like to take that challenge. Well, don't you? You do like the turd My turkey is unstoppable. No. The fuck, turducken? The fuck out of here with that shit. No. But you do something fancy, don't you? Do you, Or do you do the, the beer can turkey? I, I mean, I forget what it is you do. Yeah, because that's fancy. What? <laughs> well, I take a beer can, shove it up turkey's ass. You know, and because I get a big turkey, I got to get my special oversized can of Foster's. I import it from Australia, and then I shove it up turkey's ass. <laughs> thing yeah. though that, that is a pot emerald lagasse makes beer can turkey so i mean it's definitely right. a thing here yeah okay so i have currently ready to rock i have a 22 pound turkey all right i will aldi brand turkey uh butterball okay thank you very okay. much although i did get it at aldi <laughs> so there is that um well I, I can't help it they had it on sale for 99 cents a pound I'm, if I can get Butterball Premium for 99 cents a pound, I'm doing it. This, you know, So, 22-pound turkey, and uh, it will be properly thawed, and I will have the, home, uh, the, the, the pre-made um, stuffing, right? I got the stuffing. I got the breadcrumbs and stuff, right? Have that all ready to rock and roll, and then I will take at least two sticks of butter. And I will massage the bird thoroughly, thoroughly. It's not quite a sexual thing, but it is a thorough massage with the butter. All right. And you're just slathering the skin with this butter all over, up and down and under the wings and, you know, between the legs and thighs and whatnot. I think you'd be more creepy watching do that. More more, more so (laughs) creepier than Jeff Goldblum doing this. Indeed. Indeed. But... Uh, and, and once it's thoroughly been massaged with the butter, then liberal, you know, you've got to wash your hands because you got to get the butter off your hands. Liberally apply the salt and the pepper. Now, what you're doing with the butter is you're actually softening the skin so that you, uh, so that the skin can keep the meat moist. And also when you stuff the turkey with your bread stuffing, and some people prefer cornbread stuffing, I am a big fan of traditional bread stuffing stuffed in the bird. Uh, you're also protecting the inner cavity, which is why people do the beer, the beer can turkeys. Uh, you're protecting the inner cavity and allowing that to actually maintain the moisture as well so that the meat stays moist. 
So you're going to throw that in the oven and you're going to put a tent of foil over it. You don't cover it. You just literally make a tent, like an old A-frame tent, over the turkey. And then you throw that in there. And about 45 minutes before the turkey is done, you're going to yank the foil off so that it will then brown the skin. Then you have a nice crispy skin, nice juicy turkey, and all that butter, all the drippings from the bird, all the salt and the pepper have already come down into the bottom of the pan so that then you can make your roux and have your turkey gravy. Boom. Thanksgiving. <laughs> gobble, gobble, bitches. Well, tell me how, how this Thanksgiving recipe sounds. Turkey in aspic. Main dish salads and dressings. 12 ounces cooked turkey, white meat, cut in six slices. Four hard cooked eggs, <laughs> sliced. Three, quor <laughs> Three quarter pound fresh asparagus spears or 18 ounce package frozen <laughs> asparagus. <laughs> the hell are you doing, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Frozen asparagus spears, cooked and drained. Six pimento strips. Pimento strips? Mmm! <laughs> mm, yummy! Two envelopes, unflavored gelatin. <laughs> I, I, you know, I heard someone talk about pimentos from, uh, the, the other day. They, they said that it took them till they were like 20 years old before they realized that olives didn't grow with pimentos inside. Two 13 and 3 quarter ounce cans chicken broth, half cup of water, one thin sliced onion, two tablespoons lemon juice, two teaspoons peppered horseradish, and one sprig of sparsley. Yes, those are the ingredients for the turkey in aspic. But apparently what you do is you trim the turkey slices to uniform shapes, arrange in a 13 by 9 by 2 inch pan, top each with four slices, about three asparagus spears, and a pimento strip. In saucepan, softened <laughs> gelatin, in chicken broth, in water, stir an onion, and basically what you get is something that looks like this. Do, do you get your where? Where does one get pimento strip? Do we get pimento strip? Is that come straight out of pimento loaf? I'm yeah, it's curious. right. It's right by the spam. What the actual shit crack is this? Yeah, it literally looks. Like, I, I, okay, this is an audio, an audio, this is an audio podcast, so I'm going to try and describe this to you. This literally looks like, um, like an ostrich, like an ostrich egg has been cracked and laid on a plate with like yellow rock candy around the edge and then asparagus looking penises stacked in a pyramid on top with a gentle covering of I don't know a red slug of some kind which I presume is the uh, aforementioned pimento strip it it's not it yeah it's I, I don't I it doesn't look good 
Well, if that doesn't, doesn't s- if the, if that doesn't sit on your palate well, how about the second item that I I sent you? Turkey fruit salad from 1963. What the actual shit? Are you serious right now? Turkey fruit salad and cranberry fruit mold. Wow. Apparently the 60s weren't about drugs just for the psychedelic kids. It was for mom and dad, too. (laughs) What the fuck? It looks terrible. Mm. Because what goes well with pineapple, green seedless grapes, and chopped red apple and walnuts? How about some chopped cooked turkey? In cups of mayonnaise, <laughs> tossed wow. together lightly, chilled, and then served. <laughs> That's right. It's a delicious blend of flavors and a fine main course for luncheon or supper. Make six generous servings. Yeah, I suppose every serving of that's going to be generous when it's all disgusting and nobody wants to eat it. Wow. Yeah. And I thought I was weird for liking a mincemeat pie. Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good now. That was, that was fun. That, yeah. Okay. Maybe well, this is what they have in pre-Thanksgiving. Like maybe this is the pre-Thanksgiving menu. I don't know. <laughs> These are the things that don't make it out of practice Thanksgiving. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've had enough Thanksgiving fun. For this for this year, yeah. shall we go ahead and look into the old mail sack? We should check that mail sack. Check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. Oh no! We suck again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. Still no email. Sad for us. Maybe I'll see if uh, someone from the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade will send us an email. Because I'll be watching that on Thanksgiving as well. Fun, fun, fun. Maybe Santa Claus from the Thanksgiving Day Parade can Santa Ooh. can send to, can Santa us an email. <laughs> can send, oh, I see what you did there. The dad jokes are strong. All right. Well, if you would like to Santa us an email, then you too can do that by sending it to the show at slscast.com. Also, as always, we'd love to get. Uh, some interaction on Twitter or followers or whatnot. If you want to be one of those, then reach out to us at the SLS cast. And without further ado, how about we do some news, sir? Let's news it up. Here we go, folks. It's the news. Alright, well, uh, my one and only piece of news comes from stuff.co.nz. Yes, stuff. By way of Steve Kilgallen, the Kiwis, who have invented a way of stopping time, in film at least. Yes, time slows down to a soupy, underwater, almost strobe-lit feeling as we peer inside the mind of the Valkyrie and see her painful memories of a fruitless horseback battle against Odin's warmongering daughter, Hela. If you've seen Taika Waititi's new superhero movie Thor Ragnarok, you should remember that shot, fleeting though it is, because it won't look like anything you've ever really seen before in cinema. If you haven't, then that makes explaining the next bit tricky. 
because it's about how two Kiwis, one of them Watiti's old flatmate, have invented a piece of fiendishly clever technology that big film studios should soon become very interested in. In a warehouse in New York, uh, two old school friends from Wellington, an artist and a software developer who ended up playing a version of himself in Watiti's mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, and these people are Carlo Van Der Rohr and Stu Rutherford, have been working on a giant lighting rig that can make it seem as if time has slowed down. That's right. It is a complete rig that gives everything that it shoots the ability to look as if it's being done in slow motion, except it's not. It's actually being done in uh, real time. And it is absolutely amazing. And I honestly thought it was actually a slow motion CG shot, but it's not. It's an augmented reality shot. If you actually see the Valkyrie fight in Thor... And that's part of the thing that you noticed, or that I noticed from the, um, from the film when I was saying that they really brought out the, the mythology. They brought, you know, it, it looks like classical artwork and everything. These were the scenes that I was referring to. And it's because of this particular lighting rig. Um, it actually has a 35 foot wide circular metal frame. It's got 200 lights and it hangs several meters in the air. And then uh, it moves the light source faster than the speed of sound, which causes an effect that when the film starts to roll, time almost freezes. So it's really cool. And I did not realize that it wasn't CG. This was actually real-time filming. So what do you think of that there, Tim? Pretty cool? Yeah, for sure. Especially since that was my favorite shot in the entire movie. I wanted, I wanted to see really? more of it. That'd be so cool. Maybe not in slow motion, obviously, but that look, I just love that look. The design, the cinematography was just really neat. I just thought that was a really cool technical bit. You can check that out for yourself. Again, stuff.co.nz uh, from the entertainment section. And uh, yeah, the Kiwis who have invented a way of stopping time in film, at least. Great article. Quick read. Check it out. What do you got there, Tim? Does that mean we'll soon be seeing New Zealand tourism videos all in slow motion, but they look exactly <laughs> like that? I, I 15 no hours idea. of New Zealand. You're going to see one valley over the course of that 15 hours, but it's going to look amazing. That's right. <laughs> everyone, will, everyone will now visit the Shire. First up for me, the HollywoodReporter.com's article is Disney's New Lion King in animated film. This was published on November 3rd, 2017, written by Carolyn Giardina, and it says this, Is Disney's retelling of The Lion King live action or is it animated? It's a question that was raised once again on Wednesday after the studio announced the voice cast for John Favreau's adaptation. But frankly, it's a question that isn't new in the animation visual effects community. Once upon a time, it was easy to distinguish between live action and animation. But as digital visual effects become more sophisticated, an increasing amount of live action motion pictures are now created in a computer. This became particularly apparent in 2002 when Stuart Little 2, which starred a CG mouse in a live action set story, qualified in the category for the Academy Award for an animated feature. 
It didn't go on to earn a nomination, but it generated plenty of debate. As digital techniques have continued to grow in sophistication and realism, it has only blurred the lines further. In the 90th Academy Awards Rules, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences defines an animated film as, quote, a motion picture in which movement and characters' performances are created using a frame-by-frame technique and usually falls into one of the two general fields of animation, narrative or abstract. Some of the techniques for animating films include, but are not limited to, hand-drawn animation, computer animation, stop-motion, clay animation, pixelation, cutout animation, pin-screen, camera, multiple-pass imagery, kaleidoscope effects created frame-by-frame and drawing on the film frame itself, motion capture, and real-time puppetry are not, by themselves, animation techniques. A key point is that Quote, animation must figure in no less than 75% of the picture's running time. In addition, a narrative animated film must have a significant number of the major characters animated. End quote. The branch is very much aware of the blurring of the lines. In fact, the animated feature rules even state, quote, if the picture is created in a cinematic style that could be mistaken for live action, the filmmaker's must also submit information supporting how and why the picture is substantially a work of animation rather than live action, end quote. Under these guidelines, arguments could be made that certain films, including Avatar and the Jungle Book, could have been submitted for animated feature Oscar consideration, but the studios didn't enter these films in the category. James Cameron and John Landau have asserted that Avatar is not an animated film, and they are among other filmmakers that share the same view. These days, the term virtual production is commonly being used to describe films such as The Jungle Book, Avatar, or even Robert Zemeckis' The Walk. These are films in which a large amount of the final film is CG, but these still involve live-action production techniques. The Lion King's VFX supervisor Rob Legato, who won Oscars for The Jungle Book, as well as Hugo and Titanic, has often said that production of The Jungle Book felt like a traditionally shot live-action movie, though it was filmed entirely on a blue-screen stage, and only the live-action element in the movie is Mowgli, and whatever small piece of set Neil Sethi stood or climbed on. The rest is a photo-real CG jungle, and in the action sequences, the viewer is running or swinging alongside Mowgli, thanks to cinematographer Bill Pope's kinetic camera. And uh, it mentions the first clip of The Lion King, the opening sequence, which was screened last summer for the attendees at the Disney D23 Expo. And apparently the audiences loved it. Within that clip, it featured, quote, draw-dropping photoreal shots of African landscapes and many types of animals. It ended with the iconic moment in which Rafiki introduces young Simba on Pride Rock as Circle of Life plays. I'll end that there. Do check out this article via the hollywoodreporter.com. Is Disney's new Lion King an animated film? Matt, I ask you that question. Is Disney's new Lion King an animated film? They're all animated films. For the love of God, we're finally having the discussion that needs to be happening. It's If you're gonna just stick a whole bunch of fucking CGI all over the fucking place, people need to just admit to themselves once and for all that, believe it or not, they like anime. Okay, if you wanna, if you wanna just call it 
CGI fest instead of anime, if that makes you feel better, then fine. Call it that. Give it its own special thing. But at the end of the day, you fucking like anime, so stop it. And that's exactly what this is. It's just computer graphics. It's still, it's still animation. Ah, oh, makes me so irritated. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But at least we're finally starting to have some real conversations about it. Um, it, what? Is it, does it cease to be animation because it's photorealistic? That's dumb. It's still animation. So and it doesn't degrade the movie at it all. It doesn't. No. Because an animated movie could actually still win Best Picture. I mean, look at Beauty and the Beast. The animated yep. Beauty and the Beast. It was nominated for Best Picture. I would say, hands down, yes, this is an animated movie. Then, so I hope, I hope I didn't, you know, spoil the discussion aspect of this piece. <laughs> I just think, I, I do. I, at the end of the day, it's all fucking animation. So just get over yourselves already, people. Admit that you like animation. And let's move on. And that still doesn't take anything away from the performances because everybody keeps saying, like, Andy Serkis. We want Andy Serkis to at least be acknowledged for his acting ability with the uh, Plan of the Apes movies. And I, I agree, but I'm not saying Plan of the Apes is going to be considered animation. If the actor is good and his performance shines through the animation, then... He could still be nominated for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress, you know, whatever. I mean, just because it's an animated film or it's given the title an animated film doesn't mean it's restricted. So I, I, I think it's cool. I think uh, very much like a lot of laws and rules, it needs some retooling for the modern age. You know, I, I think every 10, 20 years, you know, they need to go back and revisit these rules because... Shit, look, look how far uh, CGI has come since Titanic. And then look how far CGI has come since Avatar, just over the past 10 years. It's fantastic. Sure. It's amazing. Are you excited for the new Lion King movie? Um, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be the exact same movie. It really does. I mean, for the love of God, what the what's the point of recasting everyone, but then not recasting Mufasa? I mean... <laughs> What is that about exactly? Um, I get that it's an iconic voice in an iconic role, but you're not redoing the original movie anymore. You're actually making your own 21st century take on the existing property. So if you're recasting everybody, recast everybody. So I don't know. Overall, they've done a pretty solid job on these remakes. I'm I'm at least willing to give it a shot. I won't dismiss it out of hand. So long as they don't do another fucking Emma Watson trying to sing. What the fuck was that? What's funny is that we, since the live-action Beauty and the Beast was put on Netflix, I threw it on because I really wanted to watch the opening. Because, you know, I, I, I the opening of the animated movie, I mean, the, the opening song is a fantastic song. Sure. And it's a great introduction to a character. And by God, I, I cannot... Uh, I thought the director was a poor choice, and I thought she was a poor choice. Yeah. It, it's just a... It, it's, uh, again, it's it, just goes to, it just goes to why you don't cast somebody 
just because of how they look. They've got to be able to perform. And yeah. you don't stick someone with the singing ability of Emma Watson in a role that's designed for a powerful voice. It's not that she can't act. That's not the problem. It's not that she doesn't look the part. That's not the problem. It's that she doesn't have a powerful singing voice. And it totally drains the fucking character. And she <sighs> easily could have been in La La Land. That was the movie she gave up to star in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and I'll bet you Emma Watson's sitting over there kissing her Oscar going, Thanks, Emma. <laughs> that's that's all she should have said that should have been the acceptance speech just kind of flick the top of the oscar you know get that ting. and as the as it rings through the microphone in the hall thanks emma and walk away that would have just been that would have been like the greatest acceptance speech of all time but um anyway yeah so how about we do the movie We've, we've, movie. we've been let's, having let's, so much fun. Let's just bring it all to a crashing halt. What do you say? How about that? Yeah, move over planes, trains, automobiles, home for the holidays. The next best Thanksgiving movie is... Tan Tan and his friend Juan Sir walked to the airport road the Camer Rouge forced them to build. It was here he saw people die of starvation. It was also here he was separated from his brothers. They separated me from my older and younger brother here. That's why I cry. I don't know where they were taken to be killed. That's right. Here we go, folks. It's the movie. Yes, and carrying on from what Tim just said, why, it would be none other than First They Killed My Father. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the title that can go in front of any Lifetime movie <laughs> and not work. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember the heat, the dust, people pour into the streets and hear all these sounds of just loud voices. And all these sounds just became so scary and so vivid and vibrant trucks carrying these soldiers in black shirts and black pants, carrying guns and grenades on their belt. They were going to create a brand new society, bring Cambodia back to its days of glory. They loved us more than our parent because they were our protector, they were our provider, they were our everything. We were supposed to give back everything to them but slowly, one by one, with one policy after another, they take away your individuality. They take away your soul, your belief. We are supposedly children of the Khmer Rouge Revolution. We were told we were fearless and we had power. They were teaching us to look at the things around us as weapons, a stick, a knife, an axe, a rock. It was really confusing to have that message that harm and hurt and hate was good. This film is through the eyes of a child and it helps this to not be a traditional film and, and no mind of a child is traditional and boring anyway. 
I wanted to really know what a child felt and what they looked at, what they focused on. Bring the audience into her mind. You see the five-year-old happy child become a nine-year-old victim of war. How can we not be the most, the most concerned about children at war? In every war, the innocent children. This, of course, is a 2017 biographical historical thriller film. It's directed by Angelina Jolie. It has also uh, got a screenplay written by Jolie and uh, Lao Un, based upon her memoir uh, of the same name. And the film is actually set in 1975, and this actually depicts a seven-year-old Ung who is forced to be trained as a child soldier while her siblings are sent to labor camps during the uh, Khmer Rouge regime. And, uh, you know, Pol Pot, all that fun stuff. Now, you have, th- this is a girl who was, um, who literally lived through one of the worst periods of Cambodia's history, uh, the Pol Pot regime. And I, I have to say that for a young woman, for a young girl who has gone through what she's gone through, this is, I mean, just really goes to show the indomitable spirit of this young girl. She was, uh, she, she was kind of raised in privilege at the time, uh, for, for where she was and what she was doing. And then, of course, as Pol Pot comes in, that the family has to kind of disperse, um, and through a series of seriously, uh, seriously fucked up things, she ends up completely isolated from her family. Um, her brothers and sisters ultimately get sent to labor camps. She ends up training and getting put in as a child soldier. Um, I, and this is in her kind of her story of her survival and the fact that she refuses to sacrifice her humanity. Just, you know, despite her will to survive, she doesn't ever let those two things cross despite all the atrocities that she sees. And, um, I think this is kind of like turning into Jolie's wheelhouse. I mean, if you think about Unbroken, which, uh, was the year before last, right, Tim? Or was that last year? Uh, 2014. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. Three years ago, even. This is kind of the thing. And, th- and she's actually getting better. The, the film definitely is, um, a cut above, uh, Unbroken. I know that I enjoyed Unbroken more than Tim did, but I don't know. I'm just kind of sucker for these kinds of movies. But I will say that this particular film kind of spoke to me a little bit, uh, more passionately than maybe most people. I have a family friend who literally lived through this. And one of the stories that he told me about when he was young was he began to understand um, that life was never really going to be the same when his the, the, the river that ran through his village uh, was polluted by dead bodies. And he ultimately had to swim through that so that he could try and escape. And he found himself, um, he was one of the lucky ones, ultimately. He also told me about stories about, you know, what human flesh smells like when it's burning. Um, 
it, it, this was not a good time to be alive in Cambodia. And while I always appreciated what he went through and saw the wonder that was this man as he established a life for himself here, one of the hardest working men I've ever known in my entire life, uh, generous to a fault, and just an all-around amazing, amazing guy. Um, seeing this movie brought his experience to life for me in a way that it had never had before. And I think that these movies, while still somewhat sappy and still somewhat over the top, need to be, these stories need to be told, these movies need to be made. And I'm glad that Jolie is careful about how she selects the pieces that she, that, that she, that she does work on and these projects because, because if you're just kind of going through the motions of doing this, like, oh, I'm going to, every movie I make is going to be my Schindler's List. Well, then it becomes pretty clear that that's what you're trying to do and it's not received as well. She definitely respects the background. She respects the project and she respects the, the experiences of the people involved and the industry as a whole enough to give you a movie that's, that's worth watching. And this one would definitely be in that camp. I give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. I had initially given, um, initially, I gave an unbroken 4.25 out of 5. And I definitely feel this movie is stepping, is, is showing how Julie is stepping up her game. Uh, visually, it's just, it is fantastic. Um, even when it's scary, even when it's intense, even when it's not pleasant to look at, it's still, the cinematography is so, so great. Uh, and that is definitely a nod to Anthony Dodd Mantle. Um, the, the crispness of the shots, the, the, the color palettes that are being used really keep you involved and make you pay attention to what's happening here. So 4.5 out of 5. This film is the story of Luang Ang when she was a little girl. It's her experience during the war. And Luang is a dear friend of mine who I met. Over 15 years ago, reading her book taught me a lot about this country. So in a way, I'm doing this for her, for her family, for Cambodia, and very much so also for Maddox. So he learns about who he is and knows who his people are. This is a story of not just my family, but it's a story of a nation. I wasn't going to trust it to anybody. Maddox has been working on this since the beginning. He's in the production. He helped me with the script. And it isn't just because he's my son. It's because this film is through the eyes of a child. And um, we've all had to open up a little bit more and be like children. I didn't want to see a child go through war. I wanted to know what a child felt and what they focused on, what they saw. If you know nothing about Cambodia and you see this film, you won't just think these are the people that suffered through a war. You will think these are really interesting people. 
their roots and their personality, their humor, their love of music, their culture. It's all of that. It has to be, in the end, this, this love letter to two Cambodian people. Bring us home there, Tim. This is a four out of five star movie for me. Very few films have been made about the Khmer Rouge and their brutality. I think that's very unfortunate because this is really the first mainstream movie that I can think of about the Khmer Rouge. The movie focuses specifically on this little girl and her family and how this affect her and the, the horrible things that this family had to go through. And because there's not a broad, you know, like how there's an endless number of uh, Vietnam War movies, you know, with Platoon, uh, Apocalypse Now, I mean, just so many Vietnam War movies. I mean, even comedic movies, you know, even satires, you already have a broad understanding as to the devastation and what is actually going on. And because this film focuses on this young girl, this little girl and her family and her experiences... There's a slight disconnect to the atrocity because you're seeing this through a child's eyes, but what the audience is exposed to is very limited in scope. The scenery is beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful and um, and precise, but I think it could have been a little dingier, for the lack of a better word, depressing, because a lot of the sorrow and sadness that the audience is is feeling, you know, what we're pulling from is all derived from this little girl, Long Ung. And all of this is being conveyed via her vacant stares into the camera, off into the distance as she's thinking about things. And I think it would have been more effective if maybe Angelina Jolie didn't rely on those same vacant stares from beginning to end. But overall, it's a good film. Even though that the overall devastation, I don't think, was captured adequately, you get the gist of it. And it's an absolutely harrowing story of this little girl and, and her family. Gut-wrenching, really, because, well, you know, the movie's called First They Killed My Father. It really packs a punch. In college, I was very fortunate of taking a class called The History of Genocide, and we studied in great length the Cambodian genocide. and. I was relieved to know that this film was being made because it's a fantastic book. I encourage all of you to read it. If you don't like books like this, if you don't like the subject matter, it's not very long. It's definitely worth the read. But it really gets to the heart of the evil you know, surrounding this naive little girl who's experiencing all this for the first time. And overall, I thought Angelina Jolie did a pretty good job. So that's why I'm landing on 4 out of 5. It's on Netflix, guys. You do need to check it out. It's definitely her finest film to date. Right on, right on. And I would just like to toss in one thing about what Tim was saying. We both mentioned the cinematography. And I actually, for me, I I know that, Tim, you weren't quite as thrilled with it. But I really enjoyed the juxtaposition of the sharpness of the cinematography and the brightness of it against such a horrible, horrible backdrop. And mm-hmm. you've you know you've got kind of this amazing irony of how beautiful Cambodia is, and yet the destruction that's happening inside of it at the same time. So that for me was the depressing aspect of it, or the depravity, despite how pretty it was. 
Right. And, and another thing that I noticed is that you could, e- I think, well, maybe not easily, but you could watch this with mature kids because it's not a very gory movie. True. During the last act, there's more blood and people being blown up due to due to mines, but it's really not graphic. She does a good job of not focusing on the gore aspect and just focusing on the story itself. Agreed. Which is also in itself more dramatic because a lot of this stuff happens off screen. It's an important movie for younger people to see as well. So I think that has that aspect in particular really going for it. Right on, right on. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the movies for this week and for this Thanksgiving. And next week's movies are going to be Justice League, which is, of course, in the theaters, and Mudbound also on Netflix. So I believe we are now ready for the spiel, are we not, sir? (laughs) Spiel on... Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. And, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter if you'd like, or the show on Twitter first. Let's do the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down in the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying the thanks to Angelina Jolie. I get to say this. If I make a fool of myself, who cares? I'm not frightened by anyone's perception of me. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>